Good morning, everyone. It's really great to be here this morning. It's only the second time I've been allowed out for Sunday morning online. Um, usually I'm at home wrangling children and a dog. So um, that's been handed over to Mr. Lush this Sunday. So I hope it's going well, love. I'm sure I'll get a debrief later. It's really great to be here with you. And if you've um, tuned in in the last few minutes, you are really welcome to join us. This is how we're doing Sunday mornings right now. And um, we're hearing really powerfully from God through his Holy Spirit, through each other. And I hope this morning, how much of the time you're with us for, whether it's a few minutes or the whole hour, I pray that God would speak to you and that you would be blessed through what you've heard seen. It's so good to finally be in springtime, isn't it? After what for all of us has been a long and hard winter, finally buds and other green things, I'm not really into gardening, are appearing and with them a refreshed hope and a borrowed joy for the things that are to come. Many of us are looking and thinking now about what's next and asking how do we move forward with the lifting of COVID restrictions. The word reset has come to some of us recently, including through the recent Pioneer Leaders Conference and the Pioneer Sunday events. At work, you might be working on reset or recovery plans to increase your activity as upcoming changes mean that things are now possible that have been restricted so far. I believe the word God has given me for this morning will help all of us in this season of springtime and emerging in the new things that God has for us. There's a very strong feeling from many people that we cannot and should not simply go back to doing what we were doing a year ago in exactly the same way. Instead, God is speaking his desire to partner with us through the Holy Spirit to create a path forwards that is grounded on his prophetic guidance. And that simply means that we listen to what he's saying and do it. And that we don't base our plans on what we think would be a pragmatic approach. I know many of us are turning afresh to God with the same cry as Jehoshaphat's heart in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12, where he says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I believe God is speaking to us to answer our cry, and the word he has given me this morning is a piece of his response. And it's simple. It's not complicated, which is good, because I can't handle complicated constructs. It's simple. It's not abstract. It doesn't require a five-phase program in order to facilitate it. It speaks to each of us and gives every one of us a part to play in building our path forwards and into the new season. Various events will give us cause to pause and reflect over the next week as we reach the one-year milestone since the first lockdown was announced. And if we look back, we can see God saying the same things in everything he spoke and asked of us, and asked of each of us through what will be the greatest global shared experience of our lifetimes. The passage I'm going to read is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase of the Bible. One of the religion scholars came up to Jesus. Hearing the lively exchanges of question and answer, and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers, he put in his question, which is the most important of all the commandments? Jesus said, the first in importance is this, listen Israel, that just means people of God. The Lord your God is one, so love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. 
And here is the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. The religion scholar said, a wonderful answer, teacher. So lucid and accurate that God is one and there is no other. And loving him with passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as well as you love yourself. Why, that's better than all offerings and sacrifices put together. When Jesus realised how insightful he was, he said, you're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. After that, no one else dared ask a question. There's a reason why, when asked for the greatest commandment, Jesus gave a two-part answer. Because the two parts are inextricably linked. They are symbiotic of one another. The first is needed to fulfil the second part, and vice versa. And they give us an upward, an inward, and an outward direction to consider. Looking at the first part, to love God in the way Jesus describes is roots down. We've been talking over the last few weeks about roots down and walls down. Roots down driving our hearts and our lives deep, deep into the soil of God's kingdom and growing and nourishing ourselves from what he has to say to us and what he has for our lives. And walls down, reaching out to those around us and dismantling and destroying barriers and borders that shouldn't be there. To love God as our first priority and our attention, it drives our roots down deep and wide into the heavenly foundations that sustain and stable us in times of trial and trouble. Through time in prayer, in reading and digesting the Bible, in worship and adoration, through conversation with Jesus, enjoying his voice and his comfort, this is how we love God. Love acts. Love does And love looks like something when you do it with all your passion, your prayer, your intelligence, your energy. You might be more familiar with the words, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And with all that I am and all that I have, I will love you, Lord. God knows how easily we can get distracted, caught up in things we should have run away from and the sin that so can easily entangle us, as Hebrews chapter 12 warns us. God knows our every sorrow and grief, our lack, our loss, all inequality and persecution because he faced all of those things on the cross. In Hebrews 4, it tells us that he faced all our temptations when he was in the desert with the devil. He knows our weaknesses and he knows what it is to be human. So he reminds us right here in Mark and also the same in Matthew to always love him first. This question came from a scholar, one who dedicated their time to scripture and words. And his question, God, what is the most important thing that you've ever said? God's answer, love me. Love me with everything you are and everything you have. You might be hearing those words for the first time today and be asking, but why? Why, God, should I love you? Who are you that I should make you my first and my everything? God would say to you, and he does say to you, through his words in the Bible, he says, because I loved you first. First, I loved you. I love you so much. And because you are so loved, 
I sent my only son, his name is Jesus, to die so that you don't have to. So the price for your sin was paid and the punishment for your disobedience is completed. Your condemned soul has been redeemed and by believing in Jesus, you will not suffer for your actions. But because of my outrageous grace and my reckless love, you will spend eternity in heaven with me. In everything we do as part of looking at Roots Down, our motivator and our end goal is always the love of God and our love for him. Looking at the second part of Jesus' answer, where he calls us to love others as we love ourselves and to, forget, to love our neighbours in some translations. It's a phrase that can get thrown around a bit frequently in jest when our frustration or our anger or our disappointment get the better of us. But in all seriousness, to love our neighbour as ourselves is no joke and one that requires some deep inward consideration in order to appreciate the vastness of its outward application. To love others as we love ourselves. For some of us, loving others is a concept so challenging we can't even attempt to make a start. And this, friends, is where the enemy gets the opportunity for a foothold and one that, if not attended to, can take root for a lifetime. What we identify as weakness, the enemy twists and tells us our imperfections and things that make us less than what God made us to be and he created us fearfully and wonderfully. They become disqualifiers to our purpose rather than qualifiers to the outrageousness of his grace. That which Satan would use to hold us down under the label as a negative quality, God the King of the angel armies makes a positive when he calls us all to go and make disciples of all nations. Because what if what the enemy intended for harm, God really does choose to use for good for those with mental health diagnoses because we can sit in the darkest of places with those who have no hope. But we as those who do have a hope, and his name is Jesus, we can say, I've been in this hole before, and it stinks. But when you're ready, I know the way out. What if those of us who have been so broken, when our hearts have been torn asunder, can meet those now in that same place and show them how our wounds have come together and our scars speak of Jesus who binds up the brokenhearted? What in Christ is what if Christ in you the hope of glory is really true and it includes me and all my weaknesses and because God is so big and so good and so fantastic that he can restore such shattered and broken hearts and lives what if he can mend that brokenness that it becomes more beautiful than it was before when it was whole and that our stories that were once the hardest moments of our lives now become a lifeline for others towards a life of love and peace and joy what if because we begin to truly understand and demonstrate first love me second love yourself and everybody else we actually ignite a revival in our streets and towns and cities and that streaming Sunday mornings onto your televisions in your house has to be done because our church buildings are just too not big enough to fit everybody in. All my sin and my shame bound me up 
And every time I didn't surrender my weaknesses to God, I fell down flat on my face in the dirt. But Jesus' blood was greater. His love was stronger than death. And his resurrection power literally picked me up off the floor, stood me on my feet, hosed me clean to heaven's spotless standards, and put a robe of righteousness on my shoulders. Isn't that the good news story that we should all be talking about? Isn't that everything we should be proclaiming aloud in everything we say and do? With all our heart, our soul, passion, energy and strength. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. He didn't make us weak. He didn't make things happen in our lives to break us. That's a deception of the devil and it simply is not true. But he loves it when we surrender our weaknesses to him and even dare to ask him to use them to show others of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. He chooses the least of us as bringers of hope and grace. When we're talking about walls down, sometimes we're talking about prayer and worship and intercession and prophecy. And those are things that, in my opinion, are like wrecking balls to a wall. They come along and they smash them down. They destroy them to dust. And there are times where loving God and hearing and reading his word and being in community together and reaching out drives our roots down deep under the walls and to the other side. And we reach people that way. And if we think about the whole tree, our branches come over the top of the wall and drop fruit on the other side. There are some things, however, however, when we think about walls down that need to be an intentional and deliberate brick by brick dismantling of that wall and they take inward work from us with the Holy Spirit to make them happen so who are your others that God is asking you to love who are those that aren't like you who don't think like you who don't look like you they don't talk or walk like you do they are your others They are those who need to hear your story, to see your scars and to feel the warmth of the Father's embrace through the radiance of your smile, your small, kind, unseen act, your offer of prayer. The term unconscious bias is one that features heavily in our media at the moment. And it simply means our personal preferences based on things that we've learned over our lives and don't give a thought to in any given moment. Having done some reading, some thinking and some praying about it, I'm beginning to uncover some of my own unconscious bias. It's confronting and it's challenging. And I find myself taken aback at what some some of what I notice myself thinking or the ways that I behave or respond um, according to my bias on ethnicity, gender, class. I was brought up in Kings Lynn in Norfolk in the 80s and 90s. It is not a place known for its cultural or ethnic diversity. I don't remember any black or minority ethnic students or teachers in my primary school and only a handful in my secondary school. I moved to Huddersfield in September 2001, two weeks after the devastating attacks on the USA. 
I remember seeing a woman in a hijab for the first time in the town centre and being afraid of those around me whose culture was unknown to me. My course mates and flatmates were all white, and my circle of friends and colleagues still renamed predominantly white. One of the saving graces I have in my current job working with surgeons is that when they pass a particular set of exams, they change their title from doctor to Mr. or Miss or Ms. But still, when I need to contact someone, I assume Dr. Smith is a man and Nurse Jones is a woman. Jesus has no unconscious bias. He sees people as they are and as his Father God made them to be. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Prejudice and media influence play no part in his opinion of anyone. And his opinion of everyone is that they are so loved. His culture is one of acceptance and humility, not thinking himself above anyone else. So much he took the part of a servant and washed the feet of those who followed him closest. Driving our roots down by loving God with every cell in our body and every second in our day and asking him to reveal those things that get in the way of us reaching to others will open us up to greater depths of understanding of the Father's heart and a greater extending of our reach when we're seeking to love the lost. Unconscious bias is exactly that. It's in our unconscious. So we need to partner with the Holy Spirit to uncover it, to become conscious of it, and in taking every thought captive to Christ, allow our hearts and minds to be transformed, that we might be a part of Jesus' work of transformation to those around us.